Thanks for joining us. You're listening to the Life Church Podcast. In these episodes, you will hear encouraging messages from our weekend services. If you'd like to know more about us, watch a live stream, or find the closest Eastern Iowa campus near you, go to lifechurchnow.org. Well, good morning. It's great to see you all here today. Um, I just want to say a huge you know, hello and good morning to all my friends here, to all my friends in Cedar Rapids and in Wilton. Uh, I love you guys. I love getting to be on this journey uh, and this thing we call Life Church, right, of gathering together one church in multiple locations. And it's an honor to get to be here with you today and to share this, this series, it's really from my heart, on the way of Jesus. And uh, I've really been looking forward to this for a while now. Um, and um, and I, uh, I, so I'm just going to say this, the, the, the back screen is going to do everything that this screen is going to do, but I'm not, you guys got to understand, I, 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 every week we're, we're, we're in a hotel in Cedar Rapids, so I'm not used to this high-tech fancy stuff, okay? So, so just don't look at the back screen, okay? Don't, don't go too wide on the camera angle, and we'll just look at this guy the whole time, okay? All right, I just had to say that, because I know you're thinking it, right? It's like Jairus' fault. It's not my fault, all right? Thank you. All right, I'm ready. So to start this conversation, let's start with Jesus, okay? Time Magazine uh, is called Jesus the most influential man in history. Uh, He was a Jewish teacher from the small town in the northern part of Israel, and his moral standards are still what kind of we see in our society as kind of what we would say is a moral standard, that a lot of our laws are rooted in in the teachings of Jesus and his standards. We see that his heart for the marginalized is in every program that serves a child in foster care or a homeless shelter. It's every, every person that is seeking to feed those that are hungry or give water to those that don't have it has got the heart of Jesus kind of running through them. That, and we see his, his death on a cross as this symbol all throughout the world of just this iconic symbol of love that is unconditional and that is sacrificial. But I think that it's safe to say that in our world, there is a decent amount of skepticism around people maybe not sure about Jesus. They don't know what they think about him or who Jesus really is. And I mean, Jesus made some pretty big claims. He, made, he said he was the son of God. He said that he could forgive sin. He said that he was the way, the truth, and the life. And, uh, and I know that that can be something that people are like, I'm not sure, really sure about all that. But uh, I love the way that, and this is just a really cool way to kind of process as we get into this, that uh, Bono, the lead singer from U2, he gave this, in a, he talked about this in an interview and he said, Jesus went around saying that he was the Messiah. That's why he was crucified. He was crucified because he said he was the son of God. So either in my view, he was the son of God or he was nuts. Forget rock and roll messianic complexes. I mean, Charlie Manson type delirium. And I find it hard to accept that whole millions and millions of lives, half the earth for 2000 years have been touched and have felt their lives touched and inspired by some nutter. I just don't believe it. He's essentially saying he was, he was either right or he was nuts. And, uh, and I think that there's a lot of things that you look at and you see, uh, for instance, there's a lot of things that point to the fact that he was right, that he was the son of God. For instance, the early church. So when you look at the at church history and you kind of look at the very beginnings of the early church, that it started with around 120 followers in Jerusalem waiting for the Holy Spirit a couple months after Jesus had died on the cross. And from then on, it grew from 120 to 33 million by 350 A.D., The world was being flipped upside down by this Jesus movement. And what's crazy about it is that it was doing so against heavy opposition, that the Roman government had outlawed Christianity, that Jewish leaders uh, did not agree with it, did not think that Jesus was the Messiah because he was so far from what they thought, yet it still exploded. 
And the followers of Jesus at that time didn't necessarily call themselves Christians, but they would have called themselves followers of the way. It's kind of where we get that language, the way of Jesus. They're followers of the way, seeing Jesus as, as the son of God that came to set us on a different course to point a different to a different way of life. And they didn't just talk about it, but they lived it. So you see that orphanages were started because of followers of the way. That while it would have been a common practice for a family that didn't want a baby to discard it or get rid of it, that they came in and they, they took those kids and they raised them as their own. And they, they started the place where they were raising these children. We see that it was a multiracial community and it didn't stand for racism. We see that they, they truly cared for the sick. And that, at that time when you had epidemics and, and people were fleeing the city so that it wouldn't spread. Like, it would have been like similar to Ebola or smallpox. The Christians stayed put and cared for people that had been abandoned by everyone else. And they cared for the sick. And in a culture dominated by pleasure and sexual gratification, the followers of the way saw that those things don't satisfy for but a moment. But the way of Jesus seemed to offer a solution to the deeper longings of humanity to find wholeness and satisfaction. Now the way of Jesus, or as Jesus would have called it, the kingdom of God, uh, was backwards. It was upside down to almost every other way to be human. And it undermined the value systems of the world. And it also undermined the value systems of the religious that said that you had to perform to, to, do, to, to follow God. Um, the way of Jesus, on, on the contrary, led to a life that was full of joy, of peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control, all in the middle of the heaviness and the weightiness of life. As Jesus said, he, I came that they may have a rich and a satisfying life or life to the fullest. So what we're going to talk about as we go through this is that it's not, you know, just looking at Jesus and seeing the teachings of Jesus, but it's to look at what it, what, how it sounds. It's the way of Jesus, his way of life, his way to be human. Now, if we fast forward from there till now, 2,000 years from the time of Jesus to us, I think that uh, we kind of live in this cultural moment where what maybe seems so clear to the early church of this is the way to life, this is the way to live, that it can seem a little bit less clear to us now. That, and I think that for a lot of us, I think we kind of have this general ache of it just feels hard to get life right. It can feel very hard to feel like you're getting life right. And it really doesn't matter where you're at. I mean, you, it, this, we feel this. I mean, college students feel this. It feels hard to get life right. Being a parent, I know I feel it. Um, being a business owner, looking at retirement. I know teens feel this. It's just hard to get, get it right. Um, and maybe you're facing a, a job or a career change and the list goes on and on. It can feel so hard to know that you're getting it right, living this life right. Um, Nobody that I know is walking around saying, hey, I can't wait for the, for the next hard decision to make. It's going to be super fun. Um, nobody's going around saying, I'm, I need another series of stressful days. But what I kind of see happen, and this is kind of as I've been writing this, this message and kind of looking at kind of the cross current that we find ourselves in as we, as we try to follow the way of Jesus, is I think that there's several things that I think we kind of feel in a big way that make it hard to get life right. First of all, I think we live in a, in a digital age where we are constantly bombarded by opinions and thoughts and ideas. You don't even have to go looking for something to open up your phone and all of a sudden you're hit with a bunch of people's thoughts and ideas on, on something. Um, the second thing I think I, I notice is that uh, it can feel very hard to get anything right when you feel like you're rushed in doing it. And for a lot of us, the pace of life is just busy. I mean, when we're asked, how are you doing? Most of the time we're saying, hey, I'm busy. And so a lot of times we, it can feel, I don't know, I know I feel this, like I'm constantly responding to what's urgent rather than what's really important. And I can kind of feel like, hey, I'm not sure if I'm, if I'm on track. And finally, the last thing I kind of see is that there's just brokenness and, and injustice all around us. 
that you don't have to look very far to see it, that um, we're seeing it right now, but, and it can feel very hard to shoulder that weight that, that you feel, let alone engage in conversations. And you can feel like I can't even engage in conversations without feeling like I'm making a political stance or, that, or, I'm, or somebody's gonna have a problem with what I'm saying. And I think that on some deep level, there's a wondering of like, hey, are we, are we on the right track? Are we going the right way? Are we, are we following the way of Jesus? Or are we following another way? Um, there's this, this pastor, and he's a, he was a professor at the University of Southern California named Dallas Willard, who has kind of, kind of come in at, at the right moment in my life as I'm kind of processing a lot of this. And he writes in his book, uh, The Great Omission, about this, this idea. And he kind of gives the example of having car problems. Um, now, some issues are unavoidable. Sometimes you're, you're going to have car problems. But imagine that you're having uh, problems with your car and it's because you've been starting to dilute your gasoline with water a little bit at a time. Now, I know some of you are considering this at this point, okay? So just hear me. It's, it's not going to work. So here's what's going to happen. If you, dilute, if, if you start to add water in, into your gas to make it go a little further, you're going to have a, a whole array of car problems, but mostly it's not going to run the way it was, it was supposed to. The manual is pretty clear that, that you, it runs on gasoline, but in, through the pressure of life and gas is expensive, you're like, well, if I just add a little bit of water, it'll just make it go a little bit further. And I think Willard uses this example of, uh, as the idea of sometimes we do the same thing in following Jesus, that the weight and the pace and the pressures of this life have caused us over time to dilute the fuel that we're running on. We're like, oh, this is just how, this is what we have to do right now. And he gives this, this quote at the end of this chapter uh, that has stuck with me. It says, the greatest issue facing the world today with all of its heartbreaking needs is whether those who by profession or culture are identified as Christians will become disciples. Students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ, steadily learning from him how to live in the kingdom of heaven, of the heavens unto every corner of human existence. And that question is one I think that all of us have to ask ourselves at one point or another. That the question of am I a disciple of Jesus or am I a Christian? And I know that, that when you hear that, the, the idea of disciple versus Christian can, can maybe feel like semantics, but, but I think that ultimately when we think about it, we think about a disciple kind of sounds like another word for a super Christian, right? Somebody who's really all in, they're maybe a little extreme, maybe, uh, maybe even it sounds like the extra credit of following Jesus in some ways. Um, and, but maybe for, even for others of you, as you hear that idea of are you a Christian or are you a disciple of Jesus, it can almost even be a triggering idea, especially if you grew up in church, that it can be an idea of it, it just makes you feel like you're not doing enough. And what you can hear from that is like, man, I just need to do better. I, I know that I need to be doing better. I just need to do better. And what I want to share with you today is, is really just from my heart. Uh, I think that I, I no, by no means want to take time today and shame or guilt you into anything. That this has been a journey for me and a journey of, of walking. In it. And what I'm asking you is not, I'm not saying, hey, level up. That's not, that's not the messaging of today. The, mes the messaging is, I want to talk about reorienting and refocusing our lives on what is the point of following Jesus? What, what is the fuel that we're running on metaphorically? And just to simply invite you on a journey into the way of Jesus. So to start this off, I kind of want to take a minute and just maybe break that down, that word disciple for just a second, and, and maybe answer the question, what is a disciple? And now just bear with me. I want to kind of, I'll walk through this and maybe teach this for just a second, then we'll kind of go back into this idea. So the idea of a disciple is, is what we would see in, in the, the followers of Jesus, the 12 disciples, and this is kind of a passage that we would see would be a normal one in Matthew chapter 10. 
It says that Jesus called his 12 disciples together and gave them authority to cast out evil spirits and to heal every kind of disease and illness. And that's typically what we think of when we hear that word disciple. We think of Jesus' 12 disciples that followed him around, the ragtag bag, you know, gang of misfits that were following Jesus, right? If you're a fan of the chosen, right, this, this may jump out to you. This is the picture that you have in your mind when you think about disciples, the ones that were following Jesus. And we oftentimes uh, will hear passages like this, and that's what we associate, those 12 disciples. But when you read through the Gospels, you actually will see that there were a lot more than just 12 disciples of Jesus, that he had a lot more. Luke 6, 17 says that there was a great crowd of disciples, that Acts 1 says there were 120 disciples gathered in Jerusalem waiting for the Holy Spirit. And in Luke chapter 10, 72 were sent out. Now that word disciple, um, our, our word disciple would come from a Greek word. This is what it was, would have been written in of mathetes. And the word mathetes just simply means a learner, a pupil, one who follows both the teacher and the teaching. So as you, as you, as you, if, you, if you were to read it and look at it in the Greek, that's the word that you would see whenever you see this idea that there was, you know, a great crowd of mathetes. There were 120 mathetes gathered in Jerusalem. And it's actually, it's the most common word used in the New Testament to describe followers of Jesus, the, the, a disciple or a mathetes. It's found 269 times in the New Testament. And this is an idea that was not invented by Jesus, that it's actually most rabbis at that time would have had disciples or, or apprentices or mathetes. Um, and it was, it was a way that uh, someone would pass on their work to, to, to the next generation or a mentoring relationship. Actually, you see this dating all the way back to 300, 400 years before where Plato would have been a disciple or a mathetes of uh, Socrates. So you have this idea of, of discipleship and you have this idea of being an apprentice. And I, that's why I think I love Dallas Willard's description of that so much, that he says that it's an apprentice, a practitioner, or a student of Jesus. And when you think about those things, it gives you a very different mental picture maybe than what disciple does immediately right off the bat. Because when you think about an apprentice, typically you would think about maybe like the trades. You would think about somebody, an electrician's apprentice or a plumber's apprentice, for example, that you would start in an apprenticeship program and you're going to learn under a professional, learning to do the things that they do. Maybe at the beginning, you're just, you're learning a lot. You're not doing a whole lot, but as time goes, you get more and more involved in it. So that at, by the end of this program that you could do what, they, what they're doing, that by the end goal of being a plumber's apprentice would be to plumb a house for yourself. And so the same idea we see kind of in a lot of other areas, you see it in med students, right? If you're in school and you're, you're doing all this, that you're also maybe shadowing a doctor coming in on appointments. You're going through all those different things. And with the idea that you're going to be able to be a practitioner of what you are learning. And that's the invitation of Jesus. The invitation to come and become a disciple is to come and learn this way of life. You see these different ways that he's inviting people, inviting the disciples to come and follow him. In Mark chapter one, you see uh, his call of, of Peter and Andrew. He says, come and follow me and I will show you how to fish for people. They're essentially saying, I'm gonna teach you to do what I do. And Peter and Andrew left their nets at once and followed him. Uh, just a, a chapter later in Mark, in Mark chapter two, he says, come and be my disciple. And Matthew got up from his tax collector's booth and followed him. And probably my favorite passage right now when it comes to this is Eugene Peterson's paraphrase in the message of Matthew chapter 11. And check this out. It says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me and you'll recover your life. Walk with me, watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you, but keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. The idea of this is that, I, and I love the words he uses of that 
walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. Essentially kind of gives this idea that there's times in our following of Jesus where we are, you know, doing it with him. And there's other times where it's like, hey, we just got to step back and watch what he does because we don't, we've never learned that idea. We've never learned that. And that's where we're at. John Mark Comer, who is a pastor who's based out of Portland, who's kind of been a huge influence to me and even in writing this, uh, this message in this series. But he writes in his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, and he says, the whole point of apprenticeship or discipleship to Jesus is to model all your life after Jesus. And in doing so, to recover your soul and to have the warped part of you put back into shape, to experience healing in the deepest part of your being. What he's essentially saying is this idea that we're going to model all of our life after Jesus, not just certain parts of it. And in doing so, we will recover our soul to have the warped part of you put back into shape and experience healing. And I love that idea of be, have the warped part being, of you putting back into shape because I think for a lot of us, there are times where we just feel out of shape. There's times where we just feel like that either the things that we've gone through in life or maybe our upbringing, all these have kind of warped us in a way that we feel like we're, we're walking through just a little bit wonky. And this idea of following Jesus and apprenticing under him is that as you do, that we're, we're gradually formed back into the image of Jesus. And so if I could put it in other words, and really this is kind of where I w- want to land today of this idea of that the invitation of Jesus is to come and model our lifestyle after his way of life to come and model our lifestyle after his way of life. Not just on his teachings, not just on all these other things, but it was more than an invitation to come and be a a convert to Christianity, but it was an invitation to come and be a disciple to his way of life. You see, it's more than just our knowledge or the way we think or our theology about, about God. It's more than our actions or what we would call our ethics. It's more than even just Sunday mornings and coming to church on Sundays. But these are all part of, when you think about They're all part of it. But when you think about a disciple, especially back in that time, you would have thought about these disciples that left what they were doing and came and built their life around this idea of modeling after the lifestyle of Jesus. This is why I think that the the first four books of the New Testament, the the Gospels, are biographies and not textbooks, right? They cover the details of Jesus' life, not just like Jesus was born, he died, here's all of his teachings, follow it. They give us all the intricacies of his life. They give us the rhythms, the details, the pace of his life so that we can have something to model after. So for me, uh, this kind of has kind of been a perfect storm in my life of this idea of being a disciple and being an apprentice of Jesus. Um, I essentially had a kind of a wake-up call in, in my life last year where this kind of all came to a point of clarity for me. Um, I think that, to be honest, I think that I was kind of beginning to feel um, the exhaustion and the weight of 2020 kind of catching up to me eventually. Like just that exhaustion was, was, ke- was catching up and kind of that survival mode that I had, you know, kind of snapped into just was hard to snap out of. Um, and I think that I also just had some pretty lofty goals for myself during lockdown of like the things that I would accomplish, right? Like I was going to get in perfect shape during lockdown, right? As soon as the world's back, I'll be great. You know, I think we all had pretty lofty goals. Um, but I had other goals, right? I, I, wanted to, I wanted to read through the Bible, right? I wanted, to, I wanted to kind of start going through it chronologically and read through it. And I wanted to become emotionally healthy. All, all these goals of mine that I was kind of pursuing in that time that over the course of that, that you just became harder and harder. And I kind of gave up on a lot of that. Um, 
And it was in that time where I began to feel this anxiety that was more than what I'd felt before. I'd, I was familiar with stress, familiar with worry, but this anxiety was different and I felt it in my chest. It was like I had a, it was for, the first, for the first time I really had a physical response to the anxiety that I was feeling. And um, I remember essentially it just made me feel out of control. That, that, that was the, the best way I could describe what I was saying. I, just, I felt out of control. I remember one day in particular um, where I'd kind of been, I'd been trying to read through the Bible and I'd been trying to, to get through it. And I was really on my, on my, the best I'd ever been through it, right? I'd made it through Leviticus. So I was like, I'm smooth sailing to the end now, right? Um, and uh, I was in this good rhythm, but I, I kind of hit this day. And it was, I remember it was a Saturday uh, and I, the boys had woken up early and they were already fighting or something. And so I just had already jumped into the the day without, I didn't have any time to myself, any time reading my Bible in the morning. And I just kind of got into the day and was already kind of behind, right? I was already irritable. I was already, and I was stressed out about anything and everything. I was stressed out about work things. I was stressed out about, about you know, the house or projects or things like that. Uh, it didn't really matter. Um, and eventually I remember that morning I told Abby, I just, I just needed to go up and go up to our room and just be un, un undisturbed for a little while just to read my Bible. And so I went up and I got up there and I, my, you know, slowed my heart rate. I listened to my Bible. I asked God to help me. And I went back down. And really, it probably wasn't five minutes that I was back down with my family. And I, all of a sudden, that feeling of angst, that feeling in my chest was right back. And I, and I'm, and I, and I like lashed out on my boys for something that they were doing. And, and it was just like, I couldn't figure it out. I couldn't figure out why, how does that happen? How do I go from reading my Bible one minute to the next minute, I'm acting right back to the behavior that I was before? How do I go from, you know, having, doing the right things and, and, and still experiencing this? And, and I essentially came to this point where I was like, how, how is it that some parts of my life are radically transformed by Jesus and other parts seem like they're untouched? Why is it that, it, that, that it, I didn't just go read my Bible and come back out and all of a sudden, man, I am, an, I am brand new, ready for the day ahead. And I think that it was in this time where I began to really understand and, and feel understood by, uh, by Paul's letter to the Romans in Romans chapter seven. He, it says this, it says, I don't really understand myself for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. I've discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there's another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? There is this, this inner struggle within us of wanting to follow Jesus, of wanting to experience transformation. And, but when the pressure is on, especially in, in my life, when the pressure was on, really, what was really inside of me was coming out and it wasn't Jesus. That I'd been a follower of Jesus for most of my life and I really expected that I would be further along, that I would be better at this by now. And this was kind of my moment of clarity. My moment of clarity was that I, I kind of I assume that just by doing the right thing, just by reading my Bible, that all of a sudden everything just washes over and you step back into life just like Jesus. And what I began to realize that season, and really uh, it wasn't like in an instant, it was like I just began to notice things more and more that I began to realize that, yes, I was a Christian and I was a follower of Jesus by my definition, but by contrast to following and modeling my life after Jesus in, the, in, in his way, I felt like my life was kind of structured around 
being a disciple to everything else. So kind of the way that I would have described it at that time, I said, you know, I feel like I'm following Jesus, but I feel like I'm a disciple to everything else. Everything else is having a much greater pull on, on who I'm becoming. And uh, I kind of began to realize in that time how much time I was spending consuming media, how the time that I spent on social media or on just watching shows on Netflix, what that was doing to, to my thought patterns as opposed to what time with Jesus was doing to my thought patterns. How many times in my day had I just trusted my gut instead of acknowledging God? I know the idea of that trust the Lord in all your ways and he will make your path straight. But how many times throughout my day was I just trusting my own gut, just trusting my own way? My patterns of rest in that season began to, to become very clear to me that they were fueled by me being productive and by my accomplishments and by me being really believing the lie that I am what I do um, rather than being rejuvenated and rested by time with my family, by sleep, by all these different things. And so I began to kind of realize why would I be surprised when I'm acting a certain way when my entire life is like, is, is pointing that way. If I'm acting this way, then it's is, is the place where my, my feet are planted pointing that direction. And uh, without even trying to, I'd compartmentalize my following Jesus to in my room with my Bible open. But here's where, here's where the good news happens, okay? This is where it, it, it begins to shift. So the end of that paragraph, where, what Paul was writing, where he's like, you know, oh, what a miserable person I am. It, it goes on to say this. This is, this is verse 25, and this is kind of the hope for today. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? And he says, thank God, the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So I just want to say today, maybe you're here and, you're, and, and, and it's like the, the inner wrestlings that you're feeling are similar to kind of what I've experienced. And um, there is hope and the answer is in Jesus. And I, I just want to like maybe can extend that invitation one more time that we kind of started with. Of the invitation of Jesus is to come and model your lifestyle after the way of Jesus. It's to come and to model the things that he did and to implement those into our lives and, and to say, Lord, what is it that you have for me? And to follow his footsteps along the way. And you might be here today and you might be kind of in that same boat as me where you're looking to have you want the whole, your whole part of you transformed. There's parts that are sticking out. They're like, I want, I want Jesus to transform and change that. And you want more. Maybe you're here today and you feel like that this message is kind of bringing clarity or it's challenging you to what, what are the next steps? How do we do that? How do we follow Jesus? Or maybe today is even kind of answering the question of what you've been searching for. That where you find yourself here this morning is essentially, you feel like the, the world has over-promised and under-delivered under on things. And you are essentially looking for a better way. And I, I want to just advocate that I think that the alternative is to follow the way of Jesus. And I believe that, that each of us have uh, a next step in this process. Each of us have a, a step in, in our following of Jesus as we, as we walk this out. And uh, I wanted to read to you one, one more invitation from Jesus in Mark chapter 8. And just kind of let this frame our, our response of where do we go from here? Um, because I think that it, it does a great job of doing that. So Mark chapter 8, uh, verse 34 and 35, this is what it says. It says, Then calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. And I want to point out just a couple things. First of all, when you, when you read this passage, what, what Jesus says is, is he says, 
uh, if any of you wants to be my follower. And before that, he's calling the crowds to come and join the disciples. He's speaking to the disciples, laying out what this is what it, is, what it looks like to be a disciple. But what he's also saying is he's saying, hey, those of you that are in the crowd, maybe even as you, you were here this morning, you're like, hey, when you say that question, am I a Christian or am I a disciple? I'm definitely not a disciple. What he's saying is you don't have to be, to be invited into this. I'm inviting any of you who, are, who hear this to come and, and follow the way that I'm showing. And he, and he goes on to say this. He says that to turn from your selfish ways, to take up your cross and follow me. And practically, if I could just give the next step, what I feel like the next step for us is to turn and to face Jesus to turn from our ways and look and take on his ways. That class is always in session with Jesus, our teacher, and he's waiting for us to turn and to look and to follow his ways. And so it's gonna require us to humble ourselves and recognize that, that there are ways in our life that are maybe contrary to the way of Jesus. And he's inviting us in to follow his ways rather than our own. Now, as we kind of get to the practicality of how do we, how do we live this out, um, I think there's a lot of different ways that we could go. There's a lot of different ways to, to apply this. Um, but essentially where I want to land with it is, is that I don't think that this is one, you know, one size fits all WWJD bracelet, right? I don't know if any of you grew up with those. I think I still have one. Um, but the, the issue with that, because you say like, hey, all right, follow the way of Jesus. Like, all right, well, what would Jesus do? And most of the time when you, when you, if you read through it, you're like seeing moments where Jesus spits in the mud and wipes it in somebody's eye. And you're like, what am I supposed to do with that? Like, is, is that prescriptive of how I'm supposed to live? Um, and so kind of as I've been processing this and, and walking out, how do we kind of put, put this into practice? I recognize that all of us kind of learn differently. And I've kind of been leaning into the idea of our, of our different learning styles. You know, some of us learn visually by seeing things. Others learn by hearing it. Uh, others learn by reading and writing. And, and, and still others learn by doing it, like kinesthetic learning. And so I, I want to try and give you something very practical today uh, and for, for where you're at and, and, and how you learn and how you best do this, of how do we begin to follow the way of Jesus? Because I'll just say this, this is for me has been a process that's been over the, over the course of a long time. Lifestyle change does not happen in one Sunday morning message and it does not happen with just one day. We don't change our whole lifestyle overnight, but it's, it's a process of following Jesus. And so I wanna start you down that process. And so maybe you're here today and you are a visual learner. You learn best by seeing things. I'm just gonna say one of the best things that to probably do is to, is to go and watch something like The Chosen. The Chosen is, they're doing a really incredible job of, of painting this mental picture of what it looks like to follow Jesus, to be a disciple, to be an apprentice of Jesus. And so that's a great place to start. I mean, I, I always say this, like, you know, if you read the Bible in the morning, just replace it with watching it right? It's, 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 it's a good way to get it in you. Um, the second thing I would say is if you're an auditory learner, maybe start by listening to scripture. I, if you have the Bible app, the YouVersion Bible app, you know, you can listen to it. And uh, that's when I started listening to the Bible last year is when things began to shift. Actually, I made it through the Bible in 2021 by listening to the Bible. Um, so give it some time, listen to it. I love the NLT. NLT is kind of where I go to, or, or even just listen to John Mark Comer's teaching podcast. He's, there's a, he's got a podcast where it's kind of got all the collection of these messages that I've kind of been listening and writing from, and um, that's a great place to start. For those of you who are reading and writing learners, maybe block out some time to journal in this next week. Maybe write down, take an audit of your life and what are the ways that you're living and what are the ways of Jesus? Or even just pick up, one of, pick up the Bible and read one of the biographies of the life of Jesus. Mark is a great place to start. Um, and those of you that learn, by, learn best by doing it, um, sometimes it's just best to get, to get in the game and start following the way of Jesus by doing it. And the thing I usually tell people is to start by, by taking some time to retreat, to be alone. You see this pattern in Jesus' life of 
retreating to be alone, to spend time by himself and spend time with God in the mornings or whatever. And so I usually tell people to take 10 minutes first thing in the morning to, to just begin to spend your day with Jesus. And the, the way that I kind of got into this was like just by taking 10 minutes and just being with God. And my, kind of my prayer was, Lord, help me to, to slow down and just be present with you. And I would just take 10 minutes to just even just breathe. And in doing that, I began to feel the natural actions and patterns that I wanted to live into that day and see the ways that they were contrary to Jesus. Um, but I think that the, the idea is that all of us have a next step in, in following Jesus. And I want to encourage you and, and lift you up as you take that next step. So would you stand all across the room? I want to give just a minute as we respond. Um, and over the next three weeks, we're going to get into maybe some of the, put some meat on the bones of this, of what it means to follow the way of Jesus. We'll talk about the way of forgiveness. We'll talk about the way of scripture, the way of slowing down. Um, but for now, I think that the way that we begin to do this is we turn from our ways and begin to follow the ways of Jesus, to lay down our own and follow him. And so uh, what I want to do is just take a few minutes to just respond. And the team is going to begin to lead us and lead us in a, in a chance to just allow this to go maybe from our head of this understanding of the way of Jesus and a little bit deeper into our heart and then even further out into our hands. Um, and so I, just to take a few minutes and just to respond to what he's speaking and respond to what he's leading. And I just want to take a minute and I just want to pray for you and pray that, that as we step on this journey of following Jesus, um, that you would not feel shamed or the guilt that you just have to do more, but that you would recognize that this is an invitation from Jesus. Jesus never demanded it, but he gives a, an invitation to come and follow me, follow my way of life. And, uh, and I just want to kind of pray a prayer over you that, of, that the way of Jesus would begin, would be realized in our lives and it would transform us from the inside out. So um, all across this room, I don't, if you would just put your hands out, almost like you're going to receive something, kind of just, it gives us a chance to give a posture change. Um, to Lord, we want to receive your way and not our own. So um, let's pray. Lord, I just pray today for, um, for each of us, Lord, that are, are seeking to follow you, seeking to live a life that is, that is built on the, 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 the lifestyle of, of, of Jesus. I pray that you would just begin to transform and change us change our thinking, change our heart, help us to, to become more and more aware of the areas that, that are living contrary to you. And Lord, I pray that you, are, you would help us to see this with our whole heart and our whole life. And I pray that as we follow, follow that your way, that the way of reconciliation and forgiveness will begin to free us from our bitterness and our disdain for other people. I pray that the, the a pr prayer, the ways of prayer and the way of submission to our creator would begin to help us to abandon our own self-reliance and to be dependent on you. I pray that the way of slowing down would free us from the addiction of productivity and accomplishment, that the way of rest would rejuvenate us to follow you without burning out. I pray that the way of generosity would free our hearts from greed, that we would, we would extend love and we would extend our finances to, to be trusted with you and not, not ourselves. Lord, I pray that the way, that your way of love, that your definition of what it means to love each other and to love one another would begin to transform us from the inside out, that it would transform our families, that it would transform our workplaces, that it would transform those that we are in, in community with, that as we love the way that you love, that it wouldn't just be saying something or wouldn't just be, be doing it, but Lord, in our heart, that you would help us to love the way that you love. Give us your heart for other people. Give us your heart of what it means to be a human in this life. Lord, help us to lay down our, our own ways. 
that as we become aware of the things that are, that are contrary to you, help us to, to love you and to follow you with our whole heart. And we choose to take up the way of Jesus. We choose to follow after you and allow it to transform and change us. And we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen.